listening to the Pasco Podcast with Dan Biles. I'm Dan Biles. Welcome to our second episode of Pasco Podcast. In this series, we'll be discussing leadership and public service. Now, first, we'd like to thank our sponsors, the 540,000 people who live, work, and play in Pasco County, as represented by the Board of County Commissioners. It's through their trust and empowerment of our workforce and leadership team that we are able to bring you this podcast. We created this podcast to help public servants build leadership skills and leverage them for success by sharing the experiences of our peers. Now, join us today for our second episode. We have, <coughs> excuse me, we have Eric Breitenbach, the Assistant County Administrator for Internal Services, and Bob Gorig, Robert Bob Gorig, Director of the Office of Management and Budget. Now, as we get started, can we just tell us a little bit about yourself? Let let the people listening or watching kind of give us a little bit about yourself. Sure. sure. You want to go? Go ahead. <laughs> so, Eric Breitenbach, as you said, I'm uh, I'm an engineer by schooling. I'm a father of two children, um, an 18-year-old boy, a 13-year-old girl. Um, and so when I'm not working here, uh, I, I had a, a boss early on that said, you know, I work to, so, to live life. And so I focus heavily on 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 those two. Um, prior to coming to Pasco County, I spent 20 years in the Navy uh, using my engineering degree, helping to build and maintain bases uh, around the country and, and, and a little around the world. And so um, I use that experience heavily. We'll get into it a little later. It heavily influences uh, how I am today. But, All right. Uh, yeah. All right. Cool. Thank you. Hello. As, as Eric said, he spent 20 years in the Navy. I spent only six. So sometimes he calls me a quitter, right? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I moved to Florida with my family in 2007 when my wife let it be known that she had scraped the ice and snow off her windshield for the very last time. So we moved to... Uh, Coral Springs, which is in uh, South Florida, down near Fort Lauderdale. And uh, there I was the director of budget strategy and communication. So I got paid by the letter. And so, of course, I was the budget director there, but I was also in charge of the strategic planning efforts and performance measurement and all the things that went along with that. But at the same time, just for fun, I was also the director of the communications and marketing department. And so from that, I came to uh, Pasco County in 2015. So I've been here nearly five years. Came here in 2015 to be the budget director. Okay. So you came here in 2015. That's about the time. Yeah, I got here in 2014. Okay. Uh, as the facilities director, you know, coming straight off of engineering for the Navy and building and maintaining their bases. When I was retiring, I thought, well, either a college campus or another local. I knew I wanted to stay in the in the private local government or government sector. Um, I didn't want to go work for a big you know, one of these big companies, because a lot of times uh, I wasn't interested in making profits. It was right. still about service, right? You know, so right. whether it's a, co a college campus or or somewhere where there's a defined footprint, like a base, you know, like the county can be considered a base to me. It's a defined footprint. And you're responsible for, at the time, building and maintaining um, buildings in, okay. instead of heli helicopters uh, or, or, right. or, 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 or runways. Uh, it was, you know, courthouses and, and libraries right. and parks building, but buildings are buildings. All right. All right. So tell us kind of a little bit about your leadership philosophy. How do you lead your teams? Sure. The, uh, in, the, in the Navy, there's a saying that uh, driving the bridge, and uh, to explain that, the, the 
on the ship. The, the ship is driven from the bridge, and that's so that's why the captain is there. And two decks down from the bridge is the combat information center where you have much lower level people who are monitoring uh, different screens that have inputs from radar, sonar, satellites, and things like that. And so when the ship is operating in a restricted environment or low visibility or something like that, these these very low-level folks are the ones who are calling the captain on the bridge and telling him the course speed to go. So even though the captain is still the leader of this, this ship, it's very low-level people that are giving the orders and, and setting the course for, for, the, uh, for the ship. So the moral of that story is that to be a leader, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know everything about the operation. So instead, the leader's job is to set that vision. Where are we going long-term? How are we going to get how are we going to get where we're going to go? Set that direction and then empower your folks to figure out a way to get there. And so as the leader, you don't have to have all the answers to, to say, first, we're going to do this, then we're going to do that. So it's really empowering your folks and then setting up an environment, a safe environment that allows them to, to really uh, reach, the, reach their potential and be creative in finding different ways to uh, come up with solutions. Okay. You use a, the shipboard analogy. I very similar leadership philosophy, but I use a different uh, lexicon. And, and I, I like to think of it as downfield blocking for the team. You know, my role as a leader is to is to set the conditions, um, and then remove obstacles for the the real stars to perform. Like you you talk about the the people one or two decks down in a ship. Uh, I, I I was never at sea, although I was in the Navy. I was at sea for like five days. Which, nice. go go figure that right. <laughs> so I don't I don't really have those experiences to draw from. But I, I so I, I like sports a lot, and so I, I look at the the sports analogy of you know the people on the team who are on a football team. We don't get a lot of glory, but really, if you watch and understand football, determine um, who wins or loses. It's the guys in the trenches, the, the downfield blockers. The, you, you the guy who catches the ball and runs for a touchdown. Um, the cameras are on them, but what they're not seeing is the leader, which Go figure in internal services. I prefer to be behind the scenes, but the leader is out there in front blocking so that that touchdown can happen. And so my, my philosophy kind of revolves around that is, is you know, you, you identify your core set of values, which maybe I think we may get into, a little, but it's later on, but it sets um, that mentality. And so to me, the philosophy is the mentality of downfield block and equip and man, uh, uh, set your teams up for success. Okay. Yeah. So you you mentioned you know commander's intent is what the army calls it, okay. right? Yeah, commander's maybe two, intent. Maybe two. Yeah. And uh, now I'm Air Force guy, so I'm kind of outnumbered today. And we're talking about an army concept. Yeah, right. You know, so <laughs> get that, figure that. Um, and so it's a you know kind of the you know here's a vision, here's where we want to be, and then you let the smart people kind of figure out how to get there, right? Yeah, or right. and then remove the obstacles that they come across that they can't remove themselves. Exactly. So, and as okay. a leader, you shouldn't be afraid to hire smart people. I Shouldn't have a whole be. team of people that's smarter than me. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, he, right. he said right. True. Well, hey, I hope my budget director is smarter than me with respect to budget, right? So, yeah, well, and it goes, and I don't know who said the quote about it, you know, if, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Yeah. Right? That's good. Yeah. So, um, so, as you look back on your career, you know, at what point did you say, you know what, I think I can do it or I'd like to lead others? I've seen pe other people do it. I, I'd like to lead others. But what point did that kind of, you know, f formulate in your mind? And then how did you go about kind of starting that? 
Sure. For me, it was my third tour in the Navy. Okay. Yeah, the first couple of tours, um, I had a job as a, as a, as a maintenance, you know, keep, keeping maintenance of buildings on a base well. And then I moved to another one where I was, you know, running projects, doing projects. And then it was the third tour where, uh, not by necessarily my choice, but I was pushed into a position of, okay, I'm responsible for, as a company commander, I'm responsible for a company of 120-ish or so people um, and you're learn. I was learning by fire. The Navy had some training skills, and, and whether I knew it and grew up knowing it, knowing it, I, I didn't actively think about it. It was, like, it was go, you know, you graduate from college, uh, for me anyway. You go, go to go to your first job. Navy moves you to the second job. Third job is really where they started to get pushed into seeing the value of working with other people. Up until that point, it had been I'm responsible for making sure this gets do, doing the maintenance. I'm responsible for the construction now it's there's a, a distinct shift into i'm not responsible for doing it i'm responsible for making sure it gets accomplished and i have to work with and rely on a team of people to do it and man is that rewarding uh, i was I, I coined the phrase i called it cb magic so i was in a construction battalion or cbs in that third tour and the just setting the conditions right and then stepping back and watching what the people what what your team can do is I, you get that sense of re reward and say, hey, I, not one, I can do this, and two, wow, that's powerful. Um, and I wanted to learn how to be the best, uh, not not necessarily leader, but the best, most effective um, person at that job at the time, which then evolved into, okay, this is really about leadership. You know? right. So yeah, at that point in time, I didn't, I was thrust into it. I didn't didn't know it. Uh, only after looking back. Uh, six nine months later, or maybe even a couple of years later, that I that I to yeah this this is where I belong. This is right. the, this is the right thing for me. This is where I get that self drive, self satisfaction out of. Right. Okay. Sure. Yeah. For me, it was uh, I was working for the federal government at the time in the State Department, and I had uh, had endured a series of really lousy supervisors, and uh, and I thought to myself, you know, if they can do it, certainly I can can't do any worse. <laughs> And so that, at that point, I decided that perhaps the leadership was was kind of where I needed to go. Okay. I, I got pretty lucky. I, I didn't encounter the lousy supervisor until maybe fourth or fifth job in. To you the are day. lucky. Yeah, yeah. I, got, I got pretty lucky along the way. But when I, when I saw it, I thought, okay. Yeah. That's what not to do. Yeah. And, you know, the good thing about being in the Navy is, you know, you're, 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 there's a clock that stops. Exactly. You know, at some point, you are going to rotate on to another job. You're not stuck in – you're not in prison for forever working for a horrible supervisor. So just, okay, I can gut it out, and let me just take the lessons of what not to do and, and use that to complement my suite of tools right. as I move forward. Yeah, because so, often you can learn yeah. just as much from a really bad supervisor yeah. as, yes, as someone that's really good. Yes, because as a good, a good supervisor that's a professional, they make it look easy. Right, and so the, you don't really understand what they're doing, the decisions they're making. But if you have a really poor supervisor, you you can tell and you can learn a lot from from uh, their mistakes. Right, right. Yeah, I think I second tour Guam, second commander because we were on off shifts. I came in two year tours off shift. The second guy was horrific. So you know, I went from a guy commander's intent go do this and you executed to somebody that wanted to know step a step b and wanted to 
make the oh, decisions right. every single point of the way through the process. So, you know, my first as a brand new lieutenant was Lieutenant Colonel. Our Nick, we were called, he called us Dragon Slayers. I'll bring you the problem. You solve it. You know, oh, you nice. figure out how to make it happen. So, yeah. so yeah. So as you look back on your career, um, is there one or two people that have really been like a really big influence that you kind of look back on saying, though that I learned a lot from that person. I kind of pattern my style after that person. Sure. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'll jump in here. Go I was, uh, when I came to Florida in 2007, went to Coral Springs and at the time the city manager, Mike Levinson, and uh, I learned a couple of things from Mike. He was a very kind of a hands-on uh, leader, not a micromanager, but he had a really good uh, skill at creating kind of a shared vision. And I never really understood the power of a shared vision until I had worked with Mike. He, he was able to take some very complex issues and kind of boil them down into a single phrase that would that kind of was – we were able to uh, energize the workforce, get everyone moving in the same direction with these phrases, and it was uh, it was it was powerful the way that, uh, for example, during the recession, he he was able to come up with, you know, his his phrase was uh, uh, just because we're in a recession, we've had hard times before. We're we're not going to uh, our citizens aren't going to suffer. We're not going to lay off employees. We're not going to cut services. So, Bob, how are we going to do that? Right. So he was the kind that would empower folks. And so at every chance he got, he would communicate that vision and just to make sure that everyone understood that. And the second thing was he was constantly communicating with everyone in the organization, with the commission, with the residents, businesses and so on, even to the point where every month we would share the financial statements with employees and go over those financial statements. We would be able to talk to employees about this is where we are versus where we thought we would be. Um, this is kind of the the trends we're seeing, and if these trends keep up, this is what's going to happen. And so the, the upshot of that was that we were able to project six months out so that once folks, once something occurred, folks knew it was coming, and so it wasn't a surprise to them. And so because of that open and honest communication style that he had, that really built up a lot of trust with with everyone involved. Okay. Yeah, I like it. what you said there. He was a simplifier. Yes. Well, Colin Powell mm -hmm. says great leaders are great simplifiers. Mm -hmm. We simplify and break things down so people can understand them. So, uh, good. For me, it, again, that that third tour in the Navy, um, I the, I had the fortune of working for one CO. Um, CO is commanding officer. He was, you know, he's now an ad, he finished his career as an admiral, and I, I don't know why. At the time, he was a commander, um, and you know, a lot of similar things that you talked about. He he empowered me. But he, he trusted me, um, and, and he was this this guy. Um, Doug Morton was his name. His his um, he was responsible for every single thing that happened in that battalion, uh, on the order of six hundred people from from soup to nuts. And when the time came for the battalion to go from Mississippi to Kuwait to get prepared for the invasion into Iraq, he said, Breitenbach. You're my guy. Um, you're going to take the element, the first element that goes in, and, we, and you're going to be entrusted with 150 people uh, and perform this mission, and you're going to go there first. You're going to be the lead element. You're going to represent my battalion. Um, and so at the time, a lot of things were going through my head, you know, all the uncertainties and unknowns. And um, But it, 
aside from his individual style, is you know talk about empowerment. That 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 that's trust to 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 go halfway across the world into a whole bunch of uncertainties and have the trust in and in me and the capabilities. And his style was very much like you described. You know, he would simplify things. Uh, he, you know, we we use the phrase of polish. I mean, he was even at the time when he was a commander, he was probably the most polished individual I know. Probably still the most polished individual I know today. Um, and he, you never thought he was coming at you from a a place of malice. He, he was always for the best intentions. I remember him talking to us once and said, "Hey, listen." And we, we've used it here. 98, 99% of the people do do good things. And so he's always positive. And, and seek out the good in, in the things that our people are doing. And yes, we have to deal with the, the, the unfortunate decisions that some folks make, but we're here to serve and do, do the mission of the Defense Department, the mission for our nation. We're here to serve. And so empowering. And in, so that's my personal story of how he empowered me, but I saw him do it with with – other lieutenants and other chiefs and other 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 members of the battalion, and it it had a multiplying effect. Of we won best best battalion in in the fleet that year, in large part due to how how he led. And so it, his, I've tried to model myself after him um, day in and day out. He wasn't a a yeller or a screamer or a pound the table kind of person, but I tell you, um, early on he he looked at me once and said. You know, Eric, I'm I'm a little disappointed in you, in, in how that happened, and that was devastating. It devastated me just by saying I'm disappointed in you. Um, it devastated me for like four days. To to and, and Doug Morton had the had the uh, uh, the I guess the the knowledge of of me and how I operated to where you could see me four days ago, four days later. Say, Eric, is everything okay? Said, Forget about that. It's 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 not that big a deal. You're being too hard on yourself. Pick yourself back up. But he he saw that I was still self beating myself up from hearing that just because he was disappointed, right? And, and that's the type of person he was. Um, and I said, okay, yeah, there are ways to get people to react without being yeah, a yeller and a screamer. It's, it comes back to setting expectations and then and then honestly telling them when are meeting expectations or not, right? And so. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are the the words I never wanted to hear from my parents. Uh, yep, I'm disappointed in you. Yes. I, I, sure. Exactly. And, and yeah. so, but that that was that was his style. Yeah, was, yell and scream all you want, but I'm disappointed in you was probably the toughest words to hear, right? Yes. Absolutely. You, that expectation, right? And you wanted to live up to that expectation. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so as we are talking about this, and you know, we have teams. How do you? And I'm going to come back to the Coral Springs in a minute, but how do you? continue to build leadership skills in today? How do you today in your personal and professional life continue to build those skills? Sure. Uh, one of the things I do is I'm involved in the Florida Sterling program. So I'm on the oh. exam committee there. I'm a master examiner and a, and a team leader for site visit teams. And, and part of that role is really is, is mentoring people who are new in the process and people who will be leaders one day, right? Even, even though I've been with Sterling for a long time, I'm not always going to be there. So our responsibility is to develop those those leaders who will come behind us and make sure that they're prepared. And so one of the things I do is really is to lead teams and to mentor folks who are new to the process. Okay. Uh, a couple things. Pro professionally, um, it's kind of formal education, the, this uh, 
CPM class that I'm taking now. You know, last session was on systems thinking, which actually I never stopped and looked at the big picture in terms of how systems interact and, and affect each other. So being able to alter how I particularly look at the world and, and the organization and individual departments, that professionally is how I'm doing it. Um, lis listening, talking, observing. For me, it's, it's self-reflecting on re replaying scenarios. Okay, that either went well, why did it go well? And then reinforcing to myself how that happened or that didn't go well, what can I learn from it? And, and so kind of continually reevaluating how you interact with others and interact with uh, the organization from a on a personal level. I mentioned my kids earlier. It's it's fine tuning parenting skills. I mean, everybody that's a parent is a leader, and you're kind of thrust into that role um, when you decide to have kids. And so, it has a profound impact on the kids, and so or on how they grow their set of values and how they grow up. And so, same thing. You know, you get angry at a kid and, 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 or a child and you, and, you, and you go off the handle. You, okay, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. How can I do that differently in the future? Because it has a, a multiplying effect on how, you know, you're, you're, the, the, the child is, is um, going to perceive that. And so listening, talking to other parents, discussing scenarios like that, um, soliciting other thoughts and opinions on how that happened. That, personally, that's how I'm how I adapt and tweak my, my leadership style, if you will. It's not so much, the philosophy stays the same. It's more styles and, right. and how do you handle situational dependence. And, the additional so, tools, if you will. Yeah, or, or sti yeah, yeah, styles and toolbox, right? Yeah, but right. it's, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you mentioned, you know, always having the replacement ready. I know the military does, or I think some services do it better than the Air Force where, you know, okay, the company commander goes down, well then the, the XO steps up and then you go all the way down to the private who can do the same thing. It's just they have that ability to continue to lead the organization regardless of what happens with the people in front of them. And so the building the depth, if you will. So yeah, even in Sterling has uh, five levels of examiners and, and it's outlined what skills and experiences do you need to move from, say, examiner to senior examiner and so on. And so we've tried to incorporate that into our, our work at OMB as well. What kind of experiences and uh, skills do we expect our next budget managers or next budget directors to have? And then we try to make sure that those folks that are working with us get those experiences and skills. Yeah. I, I, you touched on a key thing there. I, there's book knowledge and there's experience. There, there's, there's no oh, substitute for, yep. for the experience. You know, so some of the early on, I got thrust into learning by experiential learning. Um, and I, and I think that, uh, looking for opportunities to do that uh, builds the best leaders because it's, it's that that self-reflection. How would I have done things differently? Um, uh, really re remains with a person much more so than if I read in a textbook or I sit in a class and and see something. They, they retain it and, and it tends to have, in my opinion, uh, if you if you look at it as chiseling chiseling a statue, it it has the best. The, the deepest cuts and in, in, in impression, uh, that experience, ex experiential uh, leadership lessons that you right. go through. So, kind so of about, trial by fire. Yeah. So, about back to will. Coral Springs a little bit. Y'all went through the Sterling process yes. and then Baldridge. Yes. Right. So, you know, you have a language at the city. 
right? That's correct, yeah. We have a language at Pasco County. Yeah. You know, the Navy has a language which is different sure. than the Army's, which is different than the Air Force's. Mm-hmm. And then there's a Sterling language. Yeah. So as leaders, so how do you see, whether it's a city or other companies where you've done site visits on, how do they integrate that with their current culture and language so that you don't cause, well, say disruption, if you will, sure, in the process? Yeah, so as, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Coral Springs had won the, the Sterling Award twice, and then it was the first uh, nonprofit local government to win the uh, Baldridge Award in 2007, 2008, something like that. And one of the interesting things is not only in Coral Springs, but other organizations that I've uh, examined is that rarely do we talk in terms of Sterling or Baldridge criteria. Really, it's really just the folks who are responsible for implementing that in a leadership team that really knows that it is Sterling or Baldridge. And even here in, in Pasco, when we talk about Sterling, it makes people nervous. What is a Sterling? Is it something right. new that I have right, to right, learn? Right, right. And so we got away from calling it Sterling into calling it the Pasco management model, just, right. just to give folks the idea that it's this isn't something additional that you're doing. It's just the way that we're going to do business. And so we incorporate that language in everything we do. So we we, we began to use our uh, all of our meetings. We began to incorporate the strategic plan into there wherever we could to incorporate the strategic plan, the business plan, where that was going. We incorporated that kind of language even into the agenda memo with the commission. So if you had an item going to the board, what piece of the strategic plan does this agenda memo address and so on? So incorporating that language really, uh, if in Coral Springs, if you went down and talked to the frontline folks, they probably wouldn't have told you they never even heard of Sterling. They wouldn't know what it was, but they understood what their job was. And then they could see kind of a a direct line, how their job impacted the overall mission of the city. And so really it's just communicating how everything fits together, how we try to integrate all the jobs to move the organization forward. Yeah. So, you know, our, our mission statement, as you will, you know, serve our community, create a better future. So that front line, worker in public works or in parks, you know, the work they do, kind of identifying that bright line, if you will, between the work they're doing, maintaining the ball field. Exactly. And that serving the community, right? Right. And so, yeah, so we have the the goals or the mission of the individual, the individual employee, and how does that help them meet the departmental goals? And then the department, how does that help them meet the branch goals? And then finally, the organization goals. So there's this line of sight from what I'm doing helps me fulfill my job all the way up through the, the entire organization. All right. So I, and now, Eric, is, you know, in your branch, you know, you obviously have you know, Bob sitting right. there in, in budget, yeah. but you have a very diverse branch yes. you know, from fleet to purchasing, yes. you know, fiscal, you know, facilities spread across 740 square miles. Right. You know, you're responsible for. How do we, how do you take that framework, if you will, and then, make sure your teams are kind of aligning and watching the business practices and the leadership style that, that we want as a county? There's a lot in that question. <laughs> um, so I'll start with the, the aligning the business practices. Um, every department does a business plan, and I've moved towards – the let me back up. The, the business plan – um, syncs up with the strategic plan and, and really is a blueprint, a one-year blueprint for 
for the work the departments are going to execute and, and do that year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I've, I've moved towards sitting down quarterly with each department head and, and really going through the business plan. Here's what you set, set out to do this year. How are we doing on that? And so it's, it's, it's a process. To me, the, the business side of it, it's a, it's a process check, um, which leads to if they're, if they're executing the business plan, if they're paying attention to those that have the more refined metrics, paying attention to the metrics, they should be delivering customer service uh, in our case, primarily to the other departments, not so much the citizens, because we're we're a little we're second order effect to the citizens. Um, the second piece that I wanted to touch on is is you know, on the leadership style. It's it's constant observation, and and you get multiple ways, multiple lines of feedback, uh, <clears throat> whether it's me directly with my peers or, or other department heads. Or in a structured setting, or a, a more casual setting, you can go go seeking out, um, saying hi, how's it going, with different different department heads, all the way up to and including the internal services survey, formal feedback that the organization provides back. So that we sit, I sit down with each department head or department leadership team um, to go through what the rest of the organization is saying on on their levels of service, customer service, um, and how do we focus on improving? You know, that's really what the discussion boils down to is how do, how do you focus on improving because um, nobody's perfect. Um, we just, as an organization, finished that the, or got the results of the employee engagement survey, right. right? And so organizationally, moving up and to the right, but if you look at it down, I'd look at it down to the department level right. to have those department level discussions with each individual department. We're going to be having those over the next couple of weeks. Um, some departments have more to work on than others. Um, but I'm also, I'm a believer in you can't fix everything at once. Right. I'll have discussions with, uh, review the results with the, each department leadership team and, and talk with them about, okay, here's what the organization says about your department's level of service or or not in the organization, sorry, this is what how your team feels. How do we affect that? What methods of change? Um, and, and really facilitate the ideas from within because right. it, it helps buy, get the buy-in. I can say you shall do X till I'm blue in the face, but right. that's not, in my opinion, not the most effective way. Right. It's just, share the information engage, have a dialogue on what's the best way to change, and then agree on that and then move forward. And then it, periodic follow-ups on how things are how things are going. Right. Okay. Yeah. If I can just jump on that, a lot of <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of organizations really are focused on doing things right. And what we do when we're uh, embracing this the Sterling criteria is we're trying to do the right things. And so rather than just going out and doing what's that addressing that squeaky wheel, leadership's role here in the Sterling model is really identifying what are the priorities, where are we trying to go, and what are the most important things that we need to accomplish. And so oftentimes you have employees and organizations that are pulled in one direction or another, and it's really leadership's role to keep folks focused where this is where we're trying to go, this is what we're trying to accomplish, and keep them focused on just addressing what's important to the organization. So that's where things like the strategic plan that the community and then the board adopted are important. Uh, mission, vision, values. Exactly. The organization, right? Yeah. Uh, Premier County. So Absolutely. Create a better future. Integrity, respect. 
mm. service excellence innovation. Those are important to kind of help guide that. Absolutely. The, so, so you all both mentioned a lot. I've heard the word trust a lot in this discussion. Uh, and then caring for your people. So trust and caring for your people. So is your building and identifying and raising new leaders in your team, how do you train them on that trust aspect? I mean, I heard the story about you, Eric, getting sent to Kuwait. Right. You know, I, I remember as a second lieutenant, the colonel called me and said, hey, you're going to go help EOD and heavy equipment pick up an airplane that just crashed. And I'm like, I am? I mean, right. don't only that, I don't have no clue, right? How to right. do that as a second lieutenant. You know, and so how do we – I mean, we don't have those opportunities, right? We're not going to send somebody you know, to Kuwait no. or to go down to the, the range. How do we build and train our people to trust their people at that, that front line, that first supervisor who's just become a supervisor? How do we build that depth in the organization? Yeah, I'll take a stab at that okay. one. Okay, no. Yeah, while the stakes aren't as high as you know going going to Kuwait or your example, there are still opportunities. To me, it's listen, observe, observe how people interact, and 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 you you will see the the natural leaders, and then trust them by challenging. You know, give them opportunities on special projects or. Um, Certain assi- certain assignments where there there's an opportunity to fail, but coach through that it's okay to fail, and I and say I'm here for you as a resource if you get stuck, help talk through things, but but challenge with to me, to me trust. This is my my thoughts on it. You, the way you trust is you provide opportunities and challenge people to go beyond their comfort zone and their boundaries. Um, I'm trying to think of a recent example. Uh, there is a, I guess, a special te- a special report, uh, or not report, but a, a special analysis that needed to be done on on impact fees. You know, give them and make them feel, make the individual feel important enough to where, hey, I'm trusted with this assignment. That instill a sense of you can do this. You may not have ever done it before. Um, and then report out on the results, and then providing the real-time feedback on the results. But it still centers around building trust in, in, in the work setting in an organization. If you if you look for opportunities to 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 maybe like you see, like your crash example, I've never done that. What the heck? You look for those opportunities and and, and give people a chance, and you'd be amazed at what they're able to do uh, a lot of times. And, and so. You select those individuals by observations day in and day out, but then when opportunities show up, say, oh, I think Jim would, would do well at that. Like, Here, Jim, I'm going to challenge you. Please go. And I realize I'm challenging you, so you have to have that dialogue. And I realize I'm challenging you. I realize it's okay, to, it's okay to not have all the answers. Come talk to me. And in some cases, I won't have all the answers either, but I'll help you find them out. And that's part of that downfield blocking. But, but allow them the flexibility and, uh, and opportunity. Uh, to show what to show what they can do, and so to me, that's what I mean about trust. Right. Uh, and you mentioned something, you know, that it's okay to fail. Yeah. Right. It's kind of hard to have innovation as a core value and not being yeah. willing to risk failure from time to time, right? Because yeah. how do you right. innovate? Right. Right. Without risking right. failure. Sure. So. Right. Yeah. And part of that is is how do you? What is your reaction to failure? If someone makes a mistake right. in your organization, what's your reaction to that? 
Do you flip out, blame that person, or do you take some responsibility for that? After all, I think this is something leaders uh, don't do often enough is that uh, Edward Demings, who's the father of uh, quality management, says that every problem on the assembly line began in the boardroom. So as leaders, we've set up this environment that allowed this person to fail or to make a mistake, right? I mean, every once in a while, people do knucklehead decisions and they do dumb stuff, right? But more or less, uh, what's your reaction? So if somebody makes a mistake, do you look at that person and blame them? Or do you try to determine what is your role in encouraging that kind of mistake? And then how do we pre prevent that in the future? So was it a lack of training? Were, were the directions from the leadership not clear? where the expectation's not clear, there's lots of different things that could cause these kinds of mistakes and to prevent them in the future. Right. Yeah, it goes back to success as many fathers, failure exactly. one. Exactly, right? yeah, that's for you sure. Know, or the, the Harry Truman sign on the desk when he was president, you know, the buck stops here. You got it, yeah. Right. Right. You know, so, all right. So, <clears throat> you know, we talked about a lot of different things over this. So, um, any thoughts, tools, wisdom you'd like to share with the listeners? Um. Yeah, I was, uh, I think we were at the same conference, uh, the, the Sterling Conference not too long ago, and Tony Moore, who's a motivational speaker, came in and he's he talked about how uh, if you want to change the outcome, you got to change the culture. Right. Right. And I think it was Peter Drucker that says culture eats strategy for breakfast. Right. And so one of the things that Tony Moore suggested was to get with your leadership team and to ask them to give you feedback on what are the three things that they would like you to stop doing, what are the three things they would like you to continue doing, and what are the things the three things they would like you to start doing. And so I did that to, with my leadership team, and I, of course I gave them their feedback and then asked them for feedback uh, as well. And it was really eye-opening, and, and it's the, the feedback that I got weren't these kind of big uh, overall uh, earth-shattering things, but it was kind of the, they were the the things that were really the interpersonal right. things that were important right. important to them. Any words before we wrap up? Yes. Uh, yeah. To me, to me, you're, you're always on. Right? You, when yeah. you're in a position of leadership, point, yeah. you, you, I say you are mm -hmm. always on. Um, in the military, right, it was easy because you wore a uniform and it showed who you were. When, um, even when you weren't on base, you were out in, in the community. Um, but it, it, understanding that um, how you interact with people, somebody's usually always watching. Right. Right. And so use that as a self-governance check. You, 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 you're all in, as, a, as a leader, it's not as... It still comes back to introspective, right? But right. That if I were to leave, suggest one thing, is just realize you're always on, and yeah. so, and one ah, ah shucks is hard <laughs> to, very hard to recover from because it starts to erode the big word we talk That's about is trust, trust mm -hmm. right? And, and you, you have to go back, start building that brick one over one, right. one once and again, and so that that always on ties into. Um, uh, I, I guess kind of ties into everything when, when right. it comes to leadership. You, you're um, now. What was I trying to think about? The, or about to say the, the um, how people react to you becomes important, right? Yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean, not any different than being a parent, right? I mean, right. When do you get time off? No, you you don't. I mean, Never, even once yeah. they graduate, they've gone to college. You're still you're still the parent. You may have a lot less role, a lot less 
but you're still there, right? So you're always on. Mm-hmm. So, so as we wrap up, I'm gonna kind of go through a lightning round. So, okay. you know, quick, funny, just kind of give the listeners a little more sense of of who we are, and okay. I'll, I'll answer them too. So, great. So we'll we'll get three answers. So start with uh, tier coffee. Tea coffee. All right, got one of each. I'll go with coffee. <laughs> so, um, would you want to live forever? No. No, no elves. No. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> What's for? Dirt? Oh, you didn't answer. I don't want to be an elf. Oh. No, I don't want to live forever. I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings. You know, elf. Um, so, what's for dinner tonight? I think my uh, daughter is making uh, Korean beef, Korean wow. pork, something like I'm that. I'm coming over. Come on over, man. I've got a chipotle burrito waiting for me in the refrigerator. <laughs> and I have leftovers. How about that? <laughs> that's you not know, fair. That's just uh, tough luck. So um, so what's the fastest speed you've ever driven a car? Wow. Maybe 90, 95? About 120. Oh, so I lived in Montana when they had no speed limits. Oh, let but the rip. fastest, Yeah, let her rip. But the fastest I've driven a car was um, a friend had a brother who had a Porsche when I was in high school, and I think we got up to 140. Wow. Yeah. So I ran out of road when I got up to <laughs> 120. <laughs> yeah, well, it yeah. was probably really stupid, but yeah. Because I wasn't in Montana. I was yeah. in Georgia. Yeah. Again, high school, right? Right, high school. Yeah. So um, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star, Star Trek. Wars. Okay. I heard a Trek. I heard a war. <laughs> yeah. I think my, the scientific mind would be Star Trek because it's more true to science than Star Wars, but they're both good. So yeah, I like them both. So uh, I just I prefer watching, prefer the story better. Yeah, <laughs> that's got to be the old old time. I guess old time Star Trek. So big dogs or small dogs? Big dogs. Big, big, big. Yeah. Yeah, we got one of each. I like the small one better. So how about that? <laughs> so well, it's a little wiener dog, a little miniature wiener dog. Oh, those so. are cute. So how many hours of sleep do you need a night? At least eight. At least eight. Oh, yeah. The, the doctor recommends at least eight, right? Yeah. Need, need. or get? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> need is, is a, a question. Uh, seven-ish need. Yeah. And I try to shoot for about seven-ish every night. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seven to eight, I think, is... Right. I think we all gave close to the doctor's recommended answer there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just in case they're watching. Just in case they're watching. Yeah. yeah. So, um, do you like the word dapper? I do like the word dapper. Yeah. yeah. I figured you'd like that, yeah. Bob. You know, you don't have your Star Wars tie on today, but <laughs> not particularly. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I don't know. I could do without it. So, yeah. Well, thank you both uh, for joining us today, Eric, Bob. It was great for you being here and to have you both. I appreciate the conversation. Um, now, uh, before we close, special thanks to our media relations team who made all this possible. We can't do it without them. And again, thank you, everyone out there listening or watching, uh, for joining us for the second episode of Padco Pod- Pasco Podcast. I'm Dan Biles, and until the next one, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.